What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? These ultra-low net carb baked goods contain zero sugar, fewer calories, and more protein than the leading brands, and are high in fiber to support gut health. Shop now at Hero.co. When you visit Arizona, time is measured in moments, not minutes. Like the moment you see the Grand Canyon for the first time. Visit a new state of mind. Learn more at hereyouareaz.com. Chapter 9 of The Tenant of Wildfell Hall by Anne Bronte. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Expatriate in Bangor, Maine. Chapter 9 Though my affections might now be said to be fairly weaned from Eliza Millward, I did not yet entirely relinquish my visits to the vicarage, because I wanted, as it were, to let her down easy, without raising much sorrow or incurring much resentment or making myself the talk of the parish and besides if i had wholly kept away the vicar who looked upon my visits as paid chiefly if not entirely to himself would have felt himself decidedly affronted by the neglect but when i called there the day after my interview with mrs graham he happened to be from home a circumstance by no means so agreeable to me now as it had been on former occasions miss millward was there it is true but she of course would be little better than a non-entity however i resolved to make my visit a short one and to talk to eliza in a brotherly friendly sort of way such as our long acquaintance might warrant me in assuming and which i thought could neither give offence nor serve to encourage false hopes it was never my custom to talk about mrs graham either to her or any one else but i had not been seated three minutes before she brought that lady onto the carpet herself in a rather remarkable manner oh mr markham said she with a shocked expression and voice subdued almost to a whisper what do you think of these shocking reports about mrs graham can you encourage us to disbelieve them what reports ah now you know she slyly smiled and shook her head i know nothing about them what in the world do you mean eliza oh don't ask me i can't explain it she took up the cambric handkerchief which she had been beautifying with a deep lace border and began to be very busy what is it miss millward what does she mean said i appealing to her sister who seemed to be absorbed in the hemming of a large coarse sheet i don't know replied she some idle slander somebody has been inventing i suppose i never heard it till eliza told me the other day but if all the parish dinned it into my ears i shouldn't believe a word of it i know mrs graham too well quite right miss millward and so do i whatever it may be well observed eliza with a gentle sigh it's well to have such a comfortable assurance regarding the worth of those we love i only wish you may not find your confidence misplaced and she raised her face and gave me such a look of sorrowful tenderness as might have melted my heart but within those eyes there lurked a something that i did not like and i wondered how i ever could have admired them her sister's honest face in small grey optics appeared far more agreeable but i was out of temper with eliza at that moment for her insinuations against mrs graham which were false i was certain whether she knew it or not i said nothing more on the subject however at the time and but little on any other for finding i could not well recover my equanimity i presently rose and took leave excusing myself under the plea of business at the farm and to the farm i went not troubling my mind one whit about the possible truth of these mysterious reports but only wondering what they were by whom originated 
and on what foundations raised and how they could the most effectually be silenced or disproved a few days after this we had another of our quiet little parties to which the usual company of friends and neighbours had been invited and mrs graham among the number she could not now absent herself under the plea of dark evenings or inclement weather and greatly to my relief she came without her i should have found the whole affair an intolerable bore but the moment of her arrival brought new life to the house and though i might not neglect the other guests for her or expect to engross much of her attention and conversation to myself alone i anticipated an evening of no common enjoyment mr lawrence came too he did not arrive till some time after the rest were assembled i was curious to see how he would comport himself to mrs graham a slight bow was all that passed between them on his entrance and having politely greeted the other members of the company he seated himself quite aloof from the young widow between my mother and rose did you ever see such art whispered eliza who was my nearest neighbour would you not say they were perfect strangers almost but what then what then why you can't pretend to be ignorant ignorant of what demanded i so sharply that she started and replied oh hush don't speak so loud well tell me then i answered in a lower tone what is it you mean i hate enigmas well you know i don't vouch for the truth of it indeed far from it but haven't you heard i've heard nothing except from you you must be wilfully deaf then for any one will tell you that but i shall only anger you by repeating it i see so i had better hold my tongue she closed her lips and folded her hands before her with an air of injured meekness if you had wished not to anger me you should have held your tongue from the beginning or else spoken out plainly and honestly all you had to say she turned aside her face pulled out her handkerchief rose and went to the window where she stood for some time evidently dissolved in tears i was astounded provoked ashamed not so much of my harshness as for her childish weakness however no one seemed to notice her and shortly after we were summoned to the tea-table in those parts it was customary to sit to the table at tea-time on all occasions and make a meal of it for we dined early on taking my seat i had rose on one side of me and an empty chair on the other may i sit by you said a soft voice at my elbow if you like was the reply and eliza slipped into the vacant chair then looking up in my face with a half sad half playful smile she whispered you're so stern gilbert i handed down her tea with a slightly contemptuous smile and said nothing for i had nothing to say what have i done to offend you said she more plaintively i wish i knew come take your tea eliza and don't be foolish responded i handing her the sugar and cream just then there arose a slight commotion on the other side of me occasioned by miss wilson's coming to negotiate an exchange of seats with rose will you be so good as to exchange places with me miss markham said she for i don't like to sit by mrs graham if your mamma thinks proper to invite such persons to her house she cannot object to her daughter's keeping company with them this latter clause was added in a sort of soliloquy when rose was gone but i was not polite enough to let it pass will you be so good as to tell me what you mean miss wilson said i the question startled her a little but not much why mr markham replied she coolly having quickly recovered her self-possession it surprises me rather that mrs markham should invite such a person as mrs graham to her house 
but perhaps she is not aware that the lady's character is considered scarcely respectable she is not nor am i and therefore you would oblige me by explaining your meaning a little further well this is scarcely the time or the place for such explanations but i think you can hardly be so ignorant as you pretend you must know her as well as i do i think i do perhaps a little better and therefore if you will inform me what you have heard or imagined against her i shall perhaps be able to set you right can you tell me then who was her husband or if she ever had any indignation kept me silent at such a time and place i could not trust myself to answer have you never observed said eliza what a striking likeness there is between that child of hers and and whom demanded miss wilson with an air of cold but keen severity eliza was startled the timidly spoken suggestion had been intended for my ear alone oh i beg your pardon pleaded she i may be mistaken perhaps i was mistaken but she accompanied the words with a sly glance of derision directed to me from the corner of her disingenuous eye there's no need to ask my pardon replied her friend but i see no one here that at all resembles that child except his mother and when you hear ill-natured reports miss eliza i will thank you that is i think you will do well to refrain from repeating them i presume the person you allude to is mr lawrence but i think i can assure you that your suspicions in that respect are utterly misplaced and if he has any particular connection with the lady at all which no one has a right to assert at least he has what cannot be said of some others sufficient sense of propriety to withhold him from acknowledging anything more than a bowing acquaintance in the presence of respectable persons he was evidently both surprised and annoyed to find her here go it cried fergus who sat on the other side of eliza and was the only individual who shared that side of the table with us go it like bricks mind you don't leave her one stone upon another miss wilson drew herself up with a look of freezing scorn but said nothing eliza would have replied but i interrupted her by saying as calmly as i could though in a tone which betrayed no doubt some little of what i felt within we have had enough of this subject if we can only speak to slander our betters let us hold our tongues i think you'd better observed fergus and so does our good parson he has been addressing the company in his richest vein all the while and eyeing you from time to time with looks of stern distaste while you sat there irreverently whispering and muttering together and once he paused in the middle of a story or a sermon i don't know which and fixed his eyes upon you gilbert as much as to say when mr markham has done flirting with those two ladies i will proceed what more was said at the tea-table i cannot tell nor how i found patience to sit till the meal was over i remember however that i swallowed with difficulty the remainder of the tea that was in my cup and ate nothing and that the first thing i did was to stare at arthur graham who sat beside his mother on the opposite side of the table and the second to stare at mr lawrence who sat below and first it struck me that there was a likeness but on further contemplation i concluded it was only an imagination both it is true had more delicate features and smaller bones than commonly fall to the lot of individuals of the rougher sex and lawrence's complexion was pale and clear and arthur's delicately fair but arthur's tiny somewhat snubby nose could never become so long and straight as mr lawrence's and the outline of his face though not full enough to be round and too finely converging to the small dimpled chin to be square could never be drawn out to the long oval of the others 
while the child's hair was evidently of a lighter warmer tint than the elder gentleman's had ever been and his large clear blue eyes though prematurely serious at times were utterly dissimilar to the shy hazel eyes of mr lawrence whence the sensitive soul looked so distrustfully forth as ever ready to retire within from the offences of a too rude too uncongenial world wretch that i was to harbour that detestable idea for a moment did i not know mrs graham had i not seen her conversed with her time after time was i not certain that she in intellect in purity and elevation of soul was immeasurably superior to any of her detractors that she was in fact the noblest the most adorable of her sex i had ever beheld or even imagined to exist yes and i would say with mary millward sensible girl as she was that if all the parish i or all the world should din these horrible lies in my ears i would not believe them for i knew her better than they meantime my brain was on fire with indignation and my heart seemed ready to burst from its prison with conflicting passions i regarded my two fair neighbours with a feeling of abhorrence and loathing i scarcely endeavoured to conceal i was rallied from several quarters for my abstraction and ungallant neglect of the ladies but i cared little for that all i cared about besides that one grand subject of my thoughts was to see the cups travel up to the tea-tray and not come down again i thought mr millward never would cease telling us that he was no tea-drinker and that it was highly injurious to keep loading the stomach with slops to the exclusion of more wholesome sustenance and so give himself time to finish his fourth cup at length it was over and i rose and left the table and the guests without a word of apology i could endure their company no longer i rushed out to cool my brain in the balmy evening air and to compose my mind or indulge my passionate thoughts in the solitude of the garden to avoid being seen from the windows i went down a quiet little avenue that skirted one side of the enclosure at the bottom of which was a seat embowered in roses and honeysuckles here i sat down to think over the virtues and wrongs of the lady of wildfell hall but i had not been so occupied two minutes before voices and laughter and glimpses of moving objects through the trees informed me that the whole company had turned out to take an airing in the garden too however i nestled up in a corner of the bower and hoped to retain possession of it secure alike from observation and intrusion but no confound it there was someone coming down the avenue why couldn't they enjoy the flowers and sunshine of the open garden and leave that sunless nook to me and the gnats and midges but peeping through my fragrant screen of the interwoven branches to discover who the intruders were for a murmur of voices told me it was more than one my vexation instantly subsided and far other feelings agitated my still unquiet soul for there was mrs graham slowly moving down the walk with arthur by her side and no one else why were they alone had the poison of detracting tongues already spread through all and had they all turned their backs upon her i now recollected having seen mrs wilson in the early part of the evening edging her chair close up to my mother and bending forward evidently in the delivery of some important confidential intelligence and from the incessant wagging of her head the frequent distortions of her wrinkled physiognomy and the winking and malicious twinkle of her little ugly eyes i judged it was some spicy piece of scandal that engaged her powers and from the cautious privacy of the communication i suppose some person then present 
was the luckless object of her calumnies and from all these tokens together with my mother's looks and gestures of mingled horror and incredulity i now concluded that object to have been mrs graham i did not emerge from my place of concealment till she had nearly reached the bottom of the walk lest my appearance should drive her away and when i did step forward she stood still and seemed inclined to turn back as it was oh don't let us disturb you mr markham said she we came here to seek retirement ourselves not to intrude on your seclusion i am no hermit mrs graham though i own it looks rather like it to absent myself in this uncourteous fashion from my guests i feared you were unwell said she with a look of real concern i was rather but it's over now do sit here a little and rest and tell me how you like this arbour said i and lifting arthur by the shoulders i planted him in the middle of the seat by way of securing his mamma who acknowledging it to be a tempting place of refuge threw herself back in one corner while i took possession of the other but that word refuge disturbed me had their unkindness then really driven her to seek for peace in solitude why have they left you alone i asked it is i who have left them was the smiling rejoinder i was wearied to death with small talk nothing wears me out like that i cannot imagine how they go on as they do i could not help smiling at the serious depth of her wonderment is it that they think it a duty to be continually talking pursued she and so never pause to think but fill up with aimless trifles and vain repetitions when subjects of real interest fail to present themselves or do they really take a pleasure in such discourse very likely they do said i their shallow minds can hold no great ideas and their light heads are carried away by trivialities that would not move a better furnished skull and their only alternative to such discourse is to plunge over head and ears into the slough of scandal which is their chief delight not all of them surely cried the lady astonished at the bitterness of my remark no certainly i exonerate my sister from such degraded tastes and my mother too if you included her in your animadversions i meant no animadversions against any one and certainly intended no disrespectful allusions to your mother i have known some sensible persons great adepts in that style of conversation when circumstances impelled them to it but it is a gift i cannot boast the possession of i kept up my attention on this occasion as long as i could but when my powers were exhausted i stole away to seek a few minutes repose in this quiet walk i hate talking where there is no exchange of ideas or sentiments and no good given or received well said i if ever i trouble you with my loquacity tell me so at once and i promise not to be offended for i possess the faculty of enjoying the company of those i uh, of my friends as well in silence as in conversation i don't quite believe you but if it were so you would exactly suit me for a companion i am all you wish then in other respects no i don't mean that how beautiful those little clusters of foliage look where the sun comes through behind them said she on purpose to change the subject and they did look beautiful where at intervals the level rays of the sun penetrating the thickness of trees and shrubs on the opposite side of the path before us relieved their dusky verdure by displaying patches of semi-transparent leaves of resplendent golden green i almost wish i were not a painter observed my companion why so one would think at such a time you would most exult in your privilege of being able to imitate the various brilliant and delightful touches of nature no 
for instead of delivering myself up to the full enjoyment of them as others do i am always troubling my head about how i could produce the same effect upon canvas and as that can never be done it is more vanity and vexation of spirit perhaps you cannot do it to satisfy yourself but you may and do succeed in delighting others with the result of your endeavours well after all i should not complain perhaps few people gain their livelihood with so much pleasure in their toil as i do here is someone coming she seemed vexed at the interruption it is only mr lawrence and miss wilson said i coming to enjoy a quiet stroll they will not disturb us i could not quite decipher the expression of her face but i was satisfied there was no jealousy therein what business had i to look for it what sort of a person is miss wilson she asked she is elegant and accomplished above the generality of her birth and station and some say she is ladylike and agreeable i thought her somewhat frigid and rather supercilious in her manner to-day very likely she might be so to you she has possibly taken a prejudice against you for i think she regards you in the light of a rival me impossible mr markham said she evidently astonished and annoyed well i know nothing about it returned i rather doggedly for i thought her annoyance was chiefly against myself the pair had now approached within a few paces of us our arbour was set snugly back in a corner before which the avenue at its termination turned off into the more airy walk along the bottom of the garden as they approached this i saw by the aspect of jane wilson that she was directing her companion's attention to us and as well by her cold sarcastic smile as by the few isolated words of her discourse that reached me i knew full well that she was impressing him with the idea that we were strongly attached to each other i noticed that he coloured up to the temples gave us one furtive glance in passing and walked on looking grave but seemingly offering no reply to her remarks it was true then that he had some designs upon mrs graham and were they honourable he would not be so anxious to conceal them she was blameless of course but he was detestable beyond all count while these thoughts flashed through my mind my companion abruptly rose and calling her son said they would now go in quest of the company and departed up the avenue doubtless she had heard or guessed something of miss wilson's remarks and therefore it was natural enough she should choose to continue the tete-a-tete no longer especially as at that moment my cheeks were burning with indignation against my former friend the token of which she might mistake for a blush of stupid embarrassment for this i owed miss wilson yet another grudge and still the more i thought upon her conduct the more i hated her it was late in the evening before i joined the company i found mrs graham already equipped for departure and taking leave of the rest who were now returned to the house i offered nay begged to accompany her home mr lawrence was standing by at the time conversing with some one else he did not look at us but on hearing my earnest request he paused in the middle of a sentence to listen for her reply and went on with a look of quiet satisfaction the moment he found it was to be a denial a denial it was decided though not unkind she could not be persuaded to think there was danger for herself or her child in traversing those lonely lanes and fields without attendance it was daylight still and she should meet no one or if she did the people were quiet and harmless she was well assured in fact she would not hear of any one's putting himself out of the way to accompany her though fergus vouchsafed to offer his services in case they should be more acceptable than mine and my mother begged she might send one of the farming men to escort her 
when she was gone the rest was all a blank or worse lawrence attempted to draw me into conversation but i snubbed him and went to another part of the room shortly after the party broke up and he himself took leave when he came to me i was blind to his extended hand and deaf to his good-night till he repeated it a second time and then to get rid of him i muttered an inarticulate reply accompanied by a sulky nod what is the matter markham whispered he i replied by a wrathful and contemptuous stare are you angry because mrs graham would not let you go home with her he asked with a faint smile that nearly exasperated me beyond control but swallowing down all fiercer answers i merely demanded what business is it of yours why none replied he with provoking quietness only and he raised his eyes to my face and spoke with unusual solemnity only let me tell you markham that if you have any designs in that quarter they will certainly fail and it grieves me to see you cherishing false hopes and wasting your strength in useless efforts for hypocrite i exclaimed and he held his breath and looked very blank turned white about the gills and went away without another word i had wounded him to the quick and i was glad of it end of chapter nine recording by expatriate in bangor maine chapter ten of the tenant of wildfell hall by anne bronte this librivox recording is in the public domain recording by expatriate in bangor maine chapter ten when all were gone i learnt that the vile slander had indeed been circulated throughout the company in the very presence of the victim rose however vowed she did not and would not believe it and my mother made the same declaration though not i fear with the same amount of real unwavering incredulity it seemed to dwell continually on her mind and she kept irritating me from time to time by such expressions as dear dear who would have thought it well i always thought that there was something odd about her you see what it is for women to affect to be different to other people and once it was i misdoubted that appearance of mystery from the very first i thought there would no good come of it but this is a sad sad business to be sure why mother you said you didn't believe these tales said fergus no more i do my dear but then you know there must be some foundation the foundation is in the wickedness and falsehood of the world said i and in the fact that mr lawrence has been seen to go that way once or twice of an evening and the village gossips say he goes to pay his addresses to the strange lady and the scandalmongers have greedily seized the rumour to make it the basis of their own infernal structure well but gilbert there must be something in her manner to countenance such reports did you see anything in her manner no certainly but then you know i always said there was something strange about her i believe it was on that very evening that i ventured on another invasion of wildfell hall from the time of our party which was upwards of a week ago i had been making daily efforts to meet its mistress in her walks and always disappointed she must have managed it so on purpose had nightly kept revolving in my mind some pretext for another call at length i concluded that the separation could be endured no longer by this time you will see i was pretty far gone and taking from the bookcase an old volume that i thought she might be interested in though from its unsightly and somewhat dilapidated condition i had not yet ventured to offer it for perusal i hastened away 
but not without sundry misgivings as to how she would receive me or how i could summon courage to present myself with so slight an excuse but perhaps i might see her in the field or the garden and then there would be no great difficulty it was a formal knocking at the door with the prospect of being gravely ushered in by rachel to the presence of a surprised uncordial mistress that so greatly disturbed me my wish however was not gratified mrs graham herself was not to be seen but there was arthur playing with his frolicsome little dog in the garden i looked over the gate and called him to me he wanted me to come in but i told him i could not without his mother's leave i'll go and ask her said the child no no arthur you mustn't do that but if she's not engaged just ask her to come here a minute tell her i want to speak to her he ran to perform my bidding and quickly returned with his mother how lovely she looked with her dark ringlets streaming in the light summer breeze her fair cheeks slightly flushed and her countenance radiant with smiles dear arthur what did i not owe to you for this and every other happy meeting through him i was at once delivered from all formality and terror and constraint in love affairs there is no mediator like a merry simple-hearted child ever ready to cement divided hearts to span the unfriendly gulf of custom to melt the ice of cold reserve and overthrow the separating walls of dread formality and pride well mr markham what is it said the young mother accosting me with a pleasant smile i want you to look at this book and if you please to take it and peruse it at your leisure i make no apology for calling you out on such a lovely evening though it be for a matter of no greater importance tell him to come in mamma said arthur would you like to come in asked the lady yes i should like to see your improvements in the garden and how your sister's roots have prospered in my charge added she as she opened the gate and we sauntered through the garden and talked of the flowers the trees and the book and then of other things the evening was kind and genial and so was my companion by degrees i waxed more warm and tender than perhaps i had ever been before but still i said nothing tangible and she attempted no repulse until in passing a moss rose tree that i had brought her some weeks since in my sister's name she plucked a beautiful half-open bud and bade me give it to rose may i not keep it myself i asked no but here is another for you instead of taking it quietly i likewise took the hand that offered it and looked into her face she let me hold it for a moment and i saw a flash of ecstatic brilliance in her eye a glow of glad excitement on her face i thought my hour of victory was come but instantly a painful recollection seemed to flash upon her a cloud of anguish darkened her brow a marble paleness blanched her cheek and lip there seemed a moment of inward conflict and with a sudden effort she withdrew her hand and retreated a step or two back now mr markham said she with a kind of desperate calmness i must tell you plainly that i cannot do with this i like your company because i am alone here and your conversation pleases me more than that of any other person but if you cannot be content to regard me as a friend a plain cold motherly or sisterly friend i must beg you to leave me now and let me alone hereafter in fact we must be strangers for the future i will then be your friend or brother or anything you wish if you will only let me continue to see you but tell me why i cannot be anything more there was a perplexed and thoughtful pause 
is it in consequence of some rash vow it is something of the kind she answered some day i may tell you but at present you had better leave me and never gilbert put me to the painful necessity of repeating what i have just now said to you she earnestly added giving me her hand in serious kindness how sweet how musical my own name sounded in her mouth i will not i replied but you pardon this offence on condition that you never repeat it and may i come to see you now and then perhaps occasionally provided you never abuse the privilege i make no empty promises but you shall see the moment you do our intimacy is at an end that's all and will you always call me gilbert it sounds more sisterly and it will serve to remind me of our contract she smiled and once more bid me go and at length i judged it prudent to obey and she re-entered the house and i went down the hill but as i went the tramp of horses hoofs fell on my ear and broke the stillness of the dewy evening and looking towards the lane i saw a solitary equestrian coming up inclining to dusk as it was i knew him at a glance it was mr lawrence on his grey pony i flew across the field leaped the stone fence and then walked down the lane to meet him on seeing me he suddenly drew in his little steed and seemed inclined to turn back but on second thought apparently judged it better to continue his course as before he accosted me with a slight bow and edging close to the wall endeavoured to pass on but i was not so minded seizing his horse by the bridle i exclaimed now lawrence i will have this mystery explained tell me where you are going and what you mean to do at once and distinctly will you take your hand off the bridle said he quietly you're hurting my pony's mouth you and your pony be what makes you so coarse and brutal markham i'm quite ashamed of you you answer my questions before you leave this spot i will know what you mean by this perfidious duplicity i shall answer no questions till you let go the bridle if you stand till morning now then said i unclosing my hand but still standing before him ask me some other time when you can speak like a gentleman returned he and he made an effort to pass me again but i quickly recaptured the pony scarce less astonished than its master at such uncivil usage really mr markham this is too much said the latter can i not go to see my tenant on matters of business without being assaulted in this manner by this is no time for business sir i'll tell you now what i think of your conduct you'd better defer your opinion to a more convenient season interrupted he in a low tone here's the vicar and in truth the vicar was just behind me plodding homeward from some remote corner of his parish i immediately released the squire and he went on his way saluting mr millward as he passed what quarrelling markham cried the latter addressing himself to me and about that young widow i doubt he added reproachfully shaking his head but let me tell you young man here he put his face into mine with an important confidential air she's not worth it and he confirmed the assertion by a solemn nod mr millward i exclaimed in a tone of wrathful menace that made the reverend gentleman look round aghast astounded at such unwonted insolence and stare me in the face with a look that plainly said what this to me but i was too indignant to apologize or to speak another word to him i turned away and hastened homewards descending with rapid strides the steep rough lane 
and leaving him to follow as he pleased end of chapter ten recording by expatriate in bangor maine chapter eleven of the tenant of wildfell hall by anne bronte this librivox recording is in the public domain recording by expatriate in bangor maine chapter eleven you must suppose about three weeks passed over mrs graham and i were now established friends or brother and sister as we rather chose to consider ourselves she called me gilbert by my express desire and i called her helen for i had seen that name written in her books i seldom attempted to see her above twice a week and still i made our meetings appear the result of accident as often as i could for i found it necessary to be extremely careful and altogether i behaved with such exceeding propriety that she never had occasion to reprove me once yet i could not but perceive that she was at times unhappy and dissatisfied with herself or her position and truly i myself was not quite contented with the latter this assumption of brotherly nonchalance was very hard to sustain and i often felt myself a most confounded hypocrite with it all i saw too or rather i felt that in spite of herself i was not indifferent to her as the novel heroes modestly express it and while i thankfully enjoyed my present good fortune i could not fail to wish and hope for something better in future but of course i kept such dreams entirely to myself where are you going gilbert said rose one evening shortly after tea when i had been busy with the farm all day to take a walk was the reply do you always brush your hat so carefully and do your hair so nicely and put on such smart new gloves when you take a walk not always you're going to wildfell hall aren't you what makes you think so because you look as if you were but i wish you wouldn't go so often nonsense child i don't go once in six weeks what do you mean well but if i were you i wouldn't have so much to do with mrs graham why rose are you two giving in to the prevailing opinion no returned she hesitatingly but i've heard so much about her lately both at the wilsons and the vicarage and besides mamma says if she were a proper person she would not be living there by herself and don't you remember last winter gilbert all that about the false name to the picture and how she explained it saying she had friends or acquaintances from whom she wished her present residence to be concealed and that she was afraid of their tracing her out and then how suddenly she started up and left the room when that person came whom she took good care not to let us catch a glimpse of and who arthur with such an air of mystery told us was his mamma's friend yes rose i remember it all and i can forgive your uncharitable conclusions for perhaps if i did not know her myself i should put all these things together and believe the same as you do but thank god i do know her and i should be unworthy the name of a man if i could believe anything that was said against her unless i heard it from her own lips i should as soon believe such things of you rose oh gilbert well do you think i could believe anything of the kind whatever the wilsons and millwards dared to whisper i should hope not indeed and why not because i know you well and i know her just as well oh no you know nothing of her former life and last year at this time you did not know that such a person existed no matter there is such a thing as looking through a person's eyes into the heart 
and learning more of the height and breadth and depth of another's soul in one hour than it might take you a lifetime to discover if he or she were not disposed to reveal it or if you had not the sense to understand it then you are going to see her this evening to be sure i am but what would mamma say gilbert mamma needn't know but she must know some time if you go on go on there's no going on in the matter mrs graham and i are two friends and will be and no man breathing shall hinder it or has a right to interfere between us but if you knew how they talk you would be more careful for her sake as well as for your own jane wilson thinks your visits to the old hall but another proof of her depravity confound jane wilson and eliza millward is quite grieved about you well, i hope she is but i wouldn't if i were you wouldn't what how do they know that i go there there's nothing hid from them they spy out everything oh i never thought of this and so they dare to turn my friendship into food for further scandal against her that proves a falsehood of their other lies at all events if any proof were wanting mind you contradict them rose whenever you can but they don't speak openly to me about such things it is only by hints and innuendos and by what i hear others say that i knew what they think well then i won't go to-day as it's getting latish but oh deuce take their cursed envenomed tongues i muttered in the bitterness of my soul and just at that moment the vicar entered the room we had been too much absorbed in our conversation to observe his knock after his customary cheerful and fatherly greeting of rose who was rather a favourite with the old gentleman he turned somewhat sternly to me well sir said he you're quite a stranger it is let me see he continued slowly as he deposited his ponderous bulk in the armchair that rose officiously brought towards him it is just six weeks by my reckoning since you darkened my door he spoke it with emphasis and struck his stick on the floor is it sir said i ay it is so he added an affirmatory nod and continued to gaze upon me with a kind of irate solemnity holding his substantial stick between his knees with his hands clasped upon its head i have been busy i said for an apology was evidently demanded busy repeated he derisively yes you know i've been getting in my hay and now the harvest is beginning Humph. just then my mother came in and created a diversion in my favour by her loquacious and animated welcome of the reverend guest she regretted deeply that he had not come a little earlier in time for tea but offered to have some immediately prepared if he would do her the favour to partake of it not any for me i thank you replied he i shall be at home in a few minutes oh but do stay and take a little it will be ready in five minutes but he rejected the offer with a majestic wave of the hand i'll tell you what i'll take mrs markham said he i'll take a glass of your excellent ale with pleasure cried my mother proceeding with alacrity to pull the bell and order the favoured beverage i thought continued he i'd just look in upon you as i passed and take your home-brewed ale i've been to call on mrs graham have you indeed he nodded gravely and added with awful emphasis i thought it incumbent upon me to do so really ejaculated my mother why so mr millward asked i he looked at me with some severity and turning again to my mother repeated i thought it incumbent upon me and struck his stick on the floor again 
my mother sat opposite an awe-struck but admiring auditor mrs graham said i he continued shaking his head as he spoke these are terrible reports what sir says she affecting to be ignorant of my meaning it is my duty as your pastor said i to tell you both everything that i myself see reprehensible in your conduct and all i have reason to suspect and what others tell me concerning you so i told her you did sir cried i starting from my seat and striking my fist on the table he merely glanced towards me and continued addressing his hostess it was a painful duty mrs markham but i told her and how did she take it asked my mother hardened i fear hardened he replied with a despondent shake of the head and at the same time there was a strong display of unchastened misdirected passions she turned white in the face and drew her breath through her teeth in a savage sort of way but she offered no extenuation or defence and with a kind of shameless calmness shocking indeed to witness in one so young as good as told me that my remonstrance was unavailing and my pastoral advice quite thrown away upon her nay that my very presence was displeasing while i spoke such things and i withdrew at length too plainly seeing that nothing could be done and sadly grieved to find her case so hopeless but i am fully determined mrs markham that my daughters shall not consort with her do you adopt the same resolution with regard to yours as for your sons as for you young man he continued sternly turning to me as for me sir i began but checked by some impediment in my utterance and finding that my whole frame trembled with fury i said no more but took the wiser part of snatching up my hat and bolting from the room slamming the door behind me with a bang that shook the house to its foundations and made my mother scream and gave a momentary relief to my excited feelings the next minute saw me hurrying with rapid strides in the direction of wildfell hall to what intent or purpose i could scarcely tell but i must be moving somewhere and no other goal would do i must see her too and speak to her that was certain but what to say or how to act i had no definite idea such stormy thoughts so many different resolutions crowded in upon me that my mind was little better than a chaos of conflicting passions end of chapter eleven recording by expatriate in bangor maine chapter twelve of the tenant of wildfell hall by anne bronte this librivox recording is in the public domain recording by expatriate in bangor maine chapter twelve in little more than twenty minutes the journey was accomplished i paused at the gate to wipe my streaming forehead and recover my breath in some degree of composure already the rapid walking had somewhat mitigated my excitement and with a firm and steady tread i paced the garden walk in passing the inhabited wing of the building i caught a sight of mrs graham through the open window slowly pacing up and down her lonely room she seemed agitated and even dismayed at my arrival as if she thought i too was coming to accuse her i had entered her presence intending to condole with her upon the wickedness of the world and help her to abuse the vicar and his vile informants but now i felt positively ashamed to mention the subject 
and determined not to refer to it unless she led the way i am come at an unseasonable hour said i assuming a cheerfulness i did not feel in order to reassure her but i won't stay many minutes she smiled upon me faintly it is true but most kindly i had almost said thankfully as her apprehensions were removed how dismal you are helen why have you no fire i said looking round on the gloomy apartment it is summer yet she replied but we always have a fire in the evenings if we can bear it and you especially require one in this cold house and dreary room you should have come a little sooner and i would have had one lighted for you but it is not worth while now you won't stay many minutes you say and arthur has gone to bed but i have a fancy for a fire nevertheless will you order one if i ring why gilbert you don't look cold said she smilingly regarding my face which no doubt seemed warm enough no replied i but i want to see you comfortable before i go me comfortable repeated she with a bitter laugh as if there were something amusingly absurd in the idea it suits me better as it is she added in a tone of mournful resignation but determined to have my own way i pulled the bell there now helen i said as the approaching steps of rachel were heard in answer to the summons there was nothing for it but to turn round and desire the maid to light the fire i owe rachel a grudge to this day for the look she cast upon me ere she departed on her mission the sour suspicious inquisitorial look that plainly demanded what are you here for i wonder her mistress did not fail to notice it and a shade of uneasiness darkened her brow you must not stay long gilbert said she when the door was closed upon us i'm not going to said i somewhat testily though without a grain of anger in my heart against any one but the meddling old woman but helen i've something to say to you before i go what is it no not now i don't know yet precisely what it is or how to say it replied i with more truth than wisdom and then fearing lest she should turn me out of the house i began talking about indifferent matters in order to gain time meanwhile rachel came in to kindle the fire which was soon effected by thrusting a red-hot poker between the bars of the grate where the fuel was already disposed for ignition she honoured me with another of her hard inhospitable looks in departing but little moved thereby i went on talking and setting a chair for mrs graham on one side of the hearth and one for myself on the other i ventured to sit down though half suspecting she would rather see me go in a little while we both relapsed into silence and continued for several minutes gazing abstractedly into the fire she intent upon her own sad thoughts and i reflecting how delightful it would be to be seated thus beside her with no other presence to restrain our intercourse not even that of arthur our mutual friend without whom we had never met before if only i could venture to speak my mind and disburden my full heart of the feelings that had so long oppressed it and which it now struggled to retain with an effort that it seemed impossible to continue much longer and revolving the pros and cons for opening my heart to her there and then and imploring a return of affection the permission to regard her thenceforth as my own and the right and the power to defend her from the calumnies of malicious tongues on the one hand i felt a new-born confidence in my powers of persuasion a strong conviction that my own fervour of spirit would grant me eloquence that my very determination the absolute necessity for succeeding that i felt must win me what i sought 
while on the other i feared to lose the ground i had already gained with so much toil and skill and destroy all future hope by one rash effort when time and patience might have won success it was like setting my life upon the cast of a die and yet i was ready to resolve upon the attempt at any rate i would entreat the explanation she had half promised to give me before i would demand the reason of this hateful barrier this mysterious impediment to my happiness and as i trusted to her own but while i considered in what manner i could best frame my request my companion wakened from her reverie with a scarcely audible sigh and looking towards the window where the blood-red harvest moon just rising over one of the grim fantastic evergreens was shining in upon us said gilbert it is getting late i see said i you want me to go i suppose i think you ought if my kind neighbours get to know of this visit as no doubt they will they will not turn it much to my advantage it was with what the vicar would doubtless have called a savage sort of smile that she said this let them turn it as they will said i what are their thoughts to you or me so long as we are satisfied with ourselves and each other let them go to the deuce with their vile constructions and their lying inventions this outburst brought a flush of colour to her face you have heard then what they say of me i heard some detestable falsehoods but none but fools would credit them for a moment helen so don't let them trouble you i did not think mr millward a fool and he believes it all but however little you may value the opinions of those about you however little you may esteem them as individuals it is not pleasant to be looked upon as a liar and a hypocrite to be thought to practise what you abhor and to encourage the vices you would discountenance to find your good intentions frustrated and your hands crippled by your supposed unworthiness and to bring disgrace on the principles you profess true and if i by my thoughtlessness and selfish disregard to appearances have at all assisted to expose you to these evils let me entreat you not only to pardon me but to enable me to make reparation authorize me to clear your name from every imputation give me the right to identify your honour with my own and to defend your reputation as more precious than my life are you hero enough to unite yourself to one whom you know to be suspected and despised by all around you and identify your interests and your honour with hers think it is a serious thing i should be proud to do it helen most happy delighted beyond expression and if that be all the obstacle to our union it is demolished and you must you shall be mine and starting from my seat in a frenzy of ardour i seized her hand and would have pressed it to my lips but she as suddenly caught it away exclaiming in the bitterness of intense affliction no no it is not all what is it then you promised i should know some time and you shall know some time but not now my head aches terribly she said pressing her hand to her forehead and i must have some repose and surely i have had misery enough to-day she added almost wildly but it could not harm you to tell it i persisted it would ease your mind and i should then know how to comfort you she shook her head despondingly if you knew all you too would blame me perhaps even more than i deserve though i have cruelly wronged you she added in a low murmur as if she mused aloud you helen impossible yes not willingly for i did not know the strength and depth of your attachment 
i thought at least i endeavoured to think your regard for me was as cold and fraternal as you professed it to be or as yours or as mine ought to have been of such a light and selfish superficial nature that there indeed you wrong me i know i did and sometimes i suspected it then but i thought upon the whole there could be no great harm in leaving your fancies and your hopes to dream themselves to nothing or flutter away to some more fitting object while your friendly sympathies remained with me but if i had known the depth of your regard the generous disinterested affection you seemed to feel seem helen well that you do feel then i would have acted differently how you could not have given me less encouragement or treated me with greater severity than you did and if you think you have wronged me by giving me your friendship and occasionally admitting me to the enjoyment of your company and conversation when all hopes of closer intimacy were vain as indeed you always gave me to understand if you think you have wronged me by this you are mistaken for such favours in themselves alone are not only delightful to my heart but purifying exalting ennobling to my soul i would rather have your friendship than the love of any other woman in the world little comforted by this she clasped her hands upon her knee and glancing upwards seemed in silent anguish to implore divine assistance then turning to me she calmly said to-morrow if you meet me on the moor about midday i will tell you all you seek to know and perhaps you will then see the necessity of discontinuing our intimacy if indeed you do not willingly resign me as one no longer worthy of regard i can safely answer no to that you cannot have such grave confessions to make you must be trying my faith helen no 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 she earnestly repeated i wish it were so thank heaven she added i have no great crime to confess but i have more than you will like to hear or perhaps can readily excuse and more than i can tell you now so let me entreat you to leave me i will but answer me this one question first do you love me i will not answer it then i will conclude you do and so good night she turned from me to hide the emotion she could not quite control but i took her hand and fervently kissed it gilbert do leave me she cried in a tone of such thrilling anguish that i felt it would be cruel to disobey but i gave one look back before i closed the door and saw her leaning forward on the table with her hands pressed against her eyes sobbing convulsively yet i withdrew in silence i felt that to obtrude my consolations on her then would only serve to aggravate her sufferings to tell you all the questionings and conjectures the fears and hopes and wild emotions that jostled and chased each other through my mind as i descended the hill would almost fill a volume in itself but before i was half-way down a sentiment of strong sympathy for her i had left behind me had displaced all other feelings and seemed imperatively to draw me back i began to think why am i hurrying so fast in this direction can i find comfort or consolation peace certainty contentment all or anything that i want at home and can i leave all perturbation sorrow and anxiety behind me there and i turned round to look at the old hall there was little besides the chimneys visible above my contracted horizon i walked back to get a better view of it when it rose in sight i stood still a moment to look and then continued moving towards the gloomy object of attraction 
something called me nearer nearer still and why not pray might i not find more benefit in the contemplation of that venerable pile with the full moon in the cloudless heaven shining so calmly above it with that warm yellow lustre peculiar to an august night and the mistress of my soul within than in returning to my home where all comparatively was light and life and cheerfulness and therefore inimical to me in my present frame of mind and the more so that its inmates all were more or less imbued with that detestable belief the very thought of which made my blood boil in my veins and how could i endure to hear it openly declared or cautiously insinuated which was worse i had had trouble enough already with some babbling fiend that would keep whispering in my ear it may be true till i had shouted aloud it is false i defy you to make me suppose it i could see the red firelight dimly gleaming from her parlour window i went up to the garden wall and stood leaning over it with my eyes fixed upon the lattice wondering what she was doing thinking or suffering now and wishing i could speak to her but one word or even catch one glimpse of her before i went i had not thus looked and wished and wondered long before i vaulted over the barrier unable to resist the temptation of taking one glance through the window just to see if she were more composed than when we parted and if i found her still in deep distress perhaps i might venture to attempt a word of comfort to utter one of the many things i should have said before instead of aggravating her sufferings by my stupid impetuosity i looked her chair was vacant so was the room but at that moment someone opened the outer door and a voice her voice said come out i want to see the moon and breathe the evening air they will do me good if anything will here then were she and rachel coming to take a walk in the garden i wished myself safe back over the wall i stood however in the shadow of the tall holly bush which standing between the window and the porch at present screened me from observation but did not prevent me from seeing two figures come forth into the moonlight mrs graham followed by another not rachel but a young man slender and rather tall oh heavens how my temples throbbed intense anxiety darkened my sight but i thought yes and the voice confirmed it it was mr lawrence you should not let it worry you so much helen said he i will be more cautious in future and in time i did not hear the rest of the sentence for he walked close beside her and spoke so gently that i could not catch the words my heart was splitting with hatred but i listened intently for her reply i heard it plainly enough but i must leave this place frederick she said i never can be happy here nor anywhere else indeed she added with a mirthless laugh but i cannot rest here but where could you find a better place replied he so secluded so near me if you think anything of that yes interrupted she it is all i could wish if they could only have left me alone but wherever you go helen there will be the same sources of annoyance i cannot consent to lose you i must go with you or come to you and there are meddling fools elsewhere as well as here while thus conversing they had sauntered slowly past me down the walk and i heard no more of their discourse but i saw him put his arm round her waist while she lovingly rested her hand on his shoulder and then a tremulous darkness obscured my sight my heart sickened and my head burned like fire i half rushed half staggered from the spot 
where horror had kept me rooted and leaped or tumbled over the wall i hardly know which but i know that afterwards like a passionate child i dashed myself on the ground and lay there in a paroxysm of anger and despair how long i cannot undertake to say but it must have been a considerable time for when having partially relieved myself by a torrent of tears and looked up at the moon shining so calmly and carelessly on as little influenced by my misery as i was by its peaceful radiance and earnestly prayed for death or forgetfulness i had risen and journeyed homewards little regarding the way but carried instinctively by my feet to the door i found it bolted against me and every one in bed except my mother who hastened to answer my impatient knocking and received me with a shower of questions and rebukes oh gilbert how could you do so where have you been do come in and take your supper i've got it all ready though you don't deserve it for keeping me in such a fright after the strange manner you left the house this evening mr millward was quite bless the boy how ill he looks oh gracious what is the matter nothing nothing give me a candle but won't you take some supper no i want to go to bed said i taking a candle and lighting it at the one she held in her hand oh gilbert how you tremble exclaimed my anxious parent how white you look do tell me what it is has anything happened it's nothing cried i ready to stamp with vexation because the candle would not light then suppressing my irritation i added i've been walking too fast that's all good night and marched off to bed regardless of the walking too fast where have you been that was called after me from below my mother followed me to the very door of my room with her questionings and advice concerning my health and my conduct but i implored her to let me alone till morning and she withdrew and at length i had the satisfaction to hear her close her own door there was no sleep for me however that night as i thought and instead of attempting to solicit it i employed myself in rapidly pacing the chamber having first removed my boots lest my mother should hear me but the boards creaked and she was watchful i had not walked above a quarter of an hour before she was at the door again gilbert why are you not in bed you said you wanted to go confound it i'm going said i but why are you so long about it you must have something on your mind for heaven's sake let me alone and get to bed yourself can it be that mrs graham that distresses you so no no i tell you it's nothing i wish to goodness it mayn't murmured she with a sigh as she returned to her own apartment while i threw myself on the bed feeling most undutifully disaffected towards her for having deprived me of what seemed the only shadow of a consolation that remained and chained me to that wretched couch of thorns never did i endure so long so miserable a night as that and yet it was not wholly sleepless towards morning my distracting thoughts began to lose all pretensions to coherency and shape themselves into confused and feverish dreams and at length there followed an interval of unconscious slumber but then the dawn of bitter recollection that succeeded the waking to find life a blank and worse than a blank teeming with torment and misery not a mere barren wilderness but full of thorns and briars to find myself deceived duped hopeless my affections trampled upon my angel not an angel and my friend a fiend incarnate it was worse than if i had not slept at all it was a dull gloomy morning the weather had changed like my prospects 
and the rain was pattering against the window i rose nevertheless and went out not to look after the farm though that would serve as my excuse but to cool my brain and regain if possible a sufficient degree of composure to meet the family at the morning meal without exciting inconvenient remarks if i got a wetting that in conjunction with a pretended overexertion before breakfast might excuse my sudden loss of appetite and if a cold ensued the severer the better it would help to account for the sullen moods and moping melancholy likely to cloud my brow for long enough end of chapter twelve recording by expatriate in bangor maine chapter thirteen of the tenant of wildfell hall by anne bronte this librivox recording is in the public domain recording by expatriate in bangor maine chapter thirteen my dear gilbert i wish you would try to be a little more amiable said my mother one morning after some display of unjustifiable ill-humour on my part you say there is nothing the matter with you and nothing has happened to grieve you and yet i never saw any one so altered as you within these last few days you haven't a good word for anybody friends and strangers equals and inferiors it's all the same i do wish you'd try to check it check what why your strange temper you don't know how it spoils you i'm sure a finer disposition than yours by nature could not be if you'd let it have fair play so you've no excuse that way while she thus remonstrated i took up a book and laying it upon the table before me pretended to be deeply absorbed in its perusal for i was equally unable to justify myself and unwilling to acknowledge my errors and i wished to have nothing to say on the matter but my excellent parent went on lecturing and then came to coaxing and began to stroke my hair and i was beginning to feel quite a good boy but my mischievous brother who was idling about the room revived my corruption by suddenly calling out don't touch him mother he'll bite he's a very tiger in human form i've given him up for my part fairly disowned him cast him off root and branch it's as much as my life is worth to come within six yards of him the other day he nearly fractured my skull for singing a pretty inoffensive love-song on purpose to amuse him oh gilbert how could you exclaim my mother i told you to hold your noise first you know fergus said i yes but when i assured you it was no trouble and went on with the next verse thinking you might like it better you clutched me by the shoulder and dashed me away right against the wall there with such force that i thought i had bitten my tongue in two and expected to see the place plastered with my brains and when i put my hand to my head and found my skull not broken i thought it was a miracle and no mistake but poor fellow added he with a sentimental sigh his heart's broken that's the truth of it and his head's will you be silent now cried i starting up and eyeing the fellow so fiercely that my mother thinking i meant to inflict some grievous bodily injury laid her hand on my arm and besought me to let him alone and he walked leisurely out with his hands in his pockets singing provokingly shall i because a woman's fair etc i'm not going to defile my fingers with him said i in answer to the maternal intercession i wouldn't touch him with the tongs i now recollected that i had business with robert wilson concerning the purchase of a certain field adjoining my farm a business i had been putting off from day to day for i had no interest in anything now and besides 
i was misanthropically inclined and moreover had a particular objection to meeting jane wilson or her mother for though i had too good reason now to credit their reports concerning mrs graham i did not like them a bit the better for it or eliza millward either and the thought of meeting them was the more repugnant to me that i could not now defy their seeming calumnies and triumph in my own convictions as before but to-day i determined to make an effort to return to my duty though i found no pleasure in it it would be less irksome than idleness at all events it would be more profitable if life promised no enjoyment within my vocation at least it offered no allurements out of it and henceforth i would put my shoulder to the wheel and toil away like any poor drudge of a cart-horse that was fairly broken into its labour and plod through life not wholly useless if not agreeable and uncomplaining if not contented with my lot thus resolving with a kind of sullen resignation if such a term may be allowed i wended my way to rycote farm scarcely expecting to find its owner within at this time of day but hoping to learn in what part of the premises he was most likely to be found absent he was but expected home in a few minutes and i was desired to step into the parlour and wait mrs wilson was busy in the kitchen but the room was not empty and i scarcely checked an involuntary recoil as i entered it for there sat miss wilson chattering with eliza millward however i determined to be cool and civil eliza seemed to have made the same resolution on her part we had not met since the evening of the tea-party but there was no visible emotion either of pleasure or pain no attempt at pathos no display of injured pride she was cool in temper civil in demeanour there was even an ease and cheerfulness about her air and manner that i made no pretension to but there was a depth of malice in her too expressive eye that plainly told me i was not forgiven for though she no longer hoped to win me to herself she still hated her rival and evidently delighted to wreak her spite on me on the other hand miss wilson was as affable and courteous as heart could wish and though i was in no very conversable humour myself the two ladies between them managed to keep up a pretty continuous fire of small talk but eliza took advantage of the first convenient pause to ask if i had lately seen mrs graham in a tone of merely casual inquiry but with a sidelong glance intended to be playfully mischievous really brimful and running over with malice not lately i replied in a careless tone but sternly repelling her odious glances with my eyes for i was vexed to find the colour mounting to my forehead despite my strenuous efforts to appear unmoved what are you beginning to tire already i thought so noble a creature would have power to attach you for a year at least i would rather not speak of her now ah then you are convinced at last of your mistake you have at length discovered that your divinity is not quite the immaculate i desired you not to speak of her miss eliza oh i beg your pardon i perceive cupid's arrows have been too sharp for you the wounds being more than skin deep are not yet healed and bleed afresh at every mention of the loved one's name say rather interposed miss wilson that mr markham feels that name is unworthy to be mentioned in the presence of right-minded females i wonder eliza you should think of referring to that unfortunate person you might know the mention of her would be anything but agreeable to any one here present how could this be borne i rose and was about to clap my hat upon my head and burst away in wrathful indignation from the house 
but recollecting just in time to save my dignity the folly of such a proceeding and how it would only give my fair tormentors a merry laugh at my expense for the sake of one i acknowledged in my own heart to be unworthy of the slightest sacrifice though the ghost of my former reverence and love so hung about me still that i could not bear to hear her name aspersed by others i merely walked to the window and having spent a few seconds invengibly biting my lips and sternly repressing the passionate heavings of my chest i observed to miss wilson that i could see nothing of her brother and added that as my time was precious it would perhaps be better to call again to-morrow at some time when i should be sure to find him at home oh no said she if you wait a minute he will be sure to come for he has business at l that was our market town and will require a little refreshment before he goes i submitted accordingly with the best grace i could and happily i had not long to wait mr wilson soon arrived and indisposed for business as i was at that moment and little as i cared for the field or its owner i forced my attention to the matter in hand with very creditable determination and quickly concluded the bargain perhaps more to the thrifty farmer's satisfaction than he cared to acknowledge then leaving him to the discussion of his substantial refreshment i gladly quitted the house and went to look after my reapers leaving them busy at work on the side of the valley i ascended the hill intending to visit a cornfield in the more elevated regions and see when it would be ripe for the sickle but i did not visit it that day for as i approached i beheld at no great distance mrs graham and her son coming down in the opposite direction they saw me and arthur already was running to meet me but i immediately turned back and walked steadily homeward for i had fully determined never to encounter his mother again and regardless of the shrill voice in my ear calling upon me to wait a moment i pursued the even tenor of my way and he soon relinquished the pursuit as hopeless or was called away by his mother at all events when i looked back five minutes after not a trace of either was to be seen this incident agitated and disturbed me most unaccountably unless you would account for it by saying that cupid's arrows not only had been too sharp for me but they were barbed and deeply rooted and i had not yet been able to wrench them from my heart however that be i was rendered doubly miserable for the remainder of the day end of chapter thirteen recording by expatriate in bangor maine chapter fourteen of the tenant of wildfell hall by anne bronte this librivox recording is in the public domain recording by expatriate in bangor maine chapter fourteen next morning i bethought me i too had business at l so i mounted my horse and set forth on the expedition soon after breakfast it was a dull drizzly day but that was no matter it was all the more suitable to my frame of mind it was likely to be a lonely journey for it was no market day and the road i traversed was little frequented at any other time but that suited me all the better too as i trotted along however chewing the cud of bitter fancies i heard another horse at no great distance behind me but i never conjectured who the rider might be or troubled my head about him till on slackening my pace to ascend a gentle acclivity or rather suffering my horse to slacken his pace into a lazy walk 
for lost in my own reflections i was letting it jog on as leisurely as it thought proper i lost ground and my fellow-traveller overtook me he accosted me by name for it was no stranger it was mr lawrence instinctively the fingers of my whip-hand tingled and grasped their charge with convulsive energy but i restrained the impulse and answering his salutation with a nod attempted to push on but he pushed on beside me and began to talk about the weather and the crops i gave the briefest possible answers to his queries and observations and fell back he fell back too and asked if my horse was lame i replied with a look at which he placidly smiled i was as much astonished as exasperated at this singular pertinacity and imperturbable assurance on his part i had thought the circumstances of our last meeting would have left such an impression on his mind as to render him cold and distant ever after instead of that he appeared not only to have forgotten all former offences but to be impenetrable to all present incivilities formerly the slightest hint or mere fancied coldness in tone or glance had sufficed to repulse him now positive rudeness could not drive him away had he heard of my disappointment and was he come to witness the result and triumph in my despair i grasped my whip with more determined energy than before but still forbore to raise it and rode on in silence waiting for some more tangible cause of offence before i opened the floodgates of my soul and poured out the damned-up fury that was foaming and swelling within markham said he in his usual quiet tone why do you quarrel with your friends because you have been disappointed in one quarter you have found your hopes defeated but how am i to blame for it i warned you beforehand you know but you would not he said no more for impelled by some fiend at my elbow i had seized my whip by the small end and swift and sudden as a flash of lightning brought the other down upon his head it was not without a feeling of savage satisfaction that i beheld the instant deadly pallor that overspread his face and the few red drops that trickled down his forehead while he reeled a moment in his saddle and then fell backward to the ground the pony surprised to be so strangely relieved of its burden started and capered and kicked a little and then made use of its freedom to go and crop the grass of the hedge-bank while its master lay as still and silent as a corpse had i killed him an icy hand seemed to grasp my heart and check its pulsation as i bent over him gazing with breathless intensity upon the ghastly upturned face but no he moved his eyelids and uttered a slight groan i breathed again he was only stunned by the fall it served him right it would teach him better manners in future should i help him to his horse no for any other combination of offences i would but his were too unpardonable he might mount it himself if he liked in a while already he was beginning to stir and look about him and there it was for him quietly browsing on the roadside so with a muttered execration i left the fellow to his fate and clapping spurs to my own horse galloped away excited by a combination of feelings it would not be easy to analyse and perhaps if i did so the result would not be very creditable to my disposition for i am not sure that a species of exultation in what i had done was not one principal concomitant shortly however the effervescence began to abate and not many minutes elapsed before i had turned and gone back to look after the fate of my victim it was no generous impulse no kind relentings that led me to this nor even the fear of what might be the consequences to myself 
if i finished my assault upon the squire by leaving him thus neglected and exposed to further injury it was simply the voice of conscience and i took great credit to myself for attending so promptly to its dictates and judging the merit of the deed by the sacrifice it cost i was not far wrong mr lawrence and his pony had both altered their positions in some degree the pony had wandered eight or ten yards further away and he had managed somehow to remove himself from the middle of the road i found him seated in a recumbent position on the bank looking very white and sickly still and holding his cambric handkerchief now more red than white to his head it must have been a powerful blow but half the credit or the blame of it which you please must be attributed to the whip which was garnished with a massive horse's head of plated metal the grass being sodden with rain afforded the young gentleman a rather inhospitable couch his clothes were considerably bemired and his hat was rolling in the mud on the other side of the road but his thoughts seemed chiefly bent upon his pony on which he was wistfully gazing half in helpless anxiety and half in hopeless abandonment to his fate i dismounted however and having fastened my own animal to the nearest tree first picked up his hat intending to clap it on his head but either he considered his head unfit for a hat or the hat in its present condition unfit for his head for shrinking away the one he took the other from my hand and scornfully cast it aside it's good enough for you i muttered my next good office was to catch his pony and bring it to him which was soon accomplished for the beast was quiet enough in the main and only winced and flirted a trifle till i got hold of the bridle but then i must see him in the saddle here you fellow scoundrel dog give me your hand and i'll help you to mount no he turned from me in disgust i attempted to take him by the arm he shrank away as if there had been contamination in my touch what you won't well you may sit there till doomsday for what i care but i suppose you don't want to lose all the blood in your body i'll just condescend to bind that up for you let me alone if you please <laughs> with all my heart you may go to the devil if you choose and say i sent you but before i abandoned him to his fate i flung his pony's bridle over a stake in the hedge and threw him my handkerchief as his own was now saturated with blood he took it and cast it back to me in abhorrence and contempt with all the strength he could muster it wanted but this to fill the measure of his offences with execrations not loud but deep i left him to live or die as he could well satisfied that i had done my duty in attempting to save him but forgetting how i had erred in bringing him into such a condition and how insultingly my after services had been offered and sullenly prepared to meet the consequences if he should choose to say i had attempted to murder him which i thought not unlikely as it seemed probable he was actuated by such spiteful motives in so perseveringly refusing my assistance having remounted my horse i just looked back to see how he was getting on before i rode away he had risen from the ground and grasping his pony's mane was attempting to resume his seat in the saddle but scarcely had he put his foot in the stirrup when a sickness or dizziness seemed to overpower him he leant forward a moment with his head drooped on the animal's back and then made one more effort which proving ineffectual he sank back on the bank where i left him reposing his head on the cosy turf and to all appearance as calmly reclining as if he had been taking his rest on his sofa at home i ought to have helped him in spite of himself to have bound up the wound he was unable to staunch 
in insisting upon getting him on his horse and seeing him safe home but besides my bitter indignation against himself there was the question what to say to his servants and what to my own family either i should have to acknowledge the deed which would have set me down as a madman unless i acknowledged the motive too and that seemed impossible or i must get up a lie which seemed equally out of the question especially as mr lawrence would probably reveal the whole truth and thereby bring me to tenfold disgrace unless i were villain enough presuming on the absence of witnesses to persist in my own version of the case and make him out a still greater scoundrel than he was no he had only received a cut above the temple and perhaps a few bruises from the fall or the hoofs of his own pony that could not kill him if he lay there half the day and if he could not help himself surely some one would be coming by it would be impossible that a whole day should pass and no one traverse the road but ourselves as for what he might choose to say hereafter i would take my chance about it if he told lies i would contradict him if he told the truth i would bear it as best i could i was not obliged to enter into explanations further than i thought proper perhaps he might choose to be silent on the subject for fear of raising inquiries as to the cause of the quarrel and drawing the public attention to his connection with mrs graham which whether for her sake or his own he seemed so very desirous to conceal thus reasoning i trotted away to the town where i duly transacted my business and performed various little commissions for my mother and rose with very laudable exactitude considering the different circumstances of the case in returning home i was troubled with sundry misgivings about the unfortunate lawrence the question what if i should find him lying still on the damp earth fairly dying of cold and exhaustion or already stark and chill thrust itself most unpleasantly upon my mind and the appalling possibility pictured itself with painful vividness to my imagination as i approached the spot where i had left him but no thank heaven both man and horse were gone and nothing was left to witness against me but two objects unpleasant enough in themselves to be sure and presenting a very ugly not to say murderous appearance in one place the hat saturated with rain and coated with mud indented and broken above the brim by that villainous whip-handle in another the crimson handkerchief soaking in a deeply tinctured pool of water for much rain had fallen in the interim bad news fly fast it was hardly four o'clock when i got home but my mother gravely accosted me with oh gilbert such an accident rose has been shopping in the village and she's heard that mr lawrence has been thrown from his horse and brought home dying this shocked me a trifle as you may suppose but i was comforted to hear that he had frightfully fractured his skull and broken a leg for assured of the falsehood of this i trusted the rest of the story was equally exaggerated and when i heard my mother and sister so feelingly deploring his condition i had considerable difficulty in preventing myself from telling them the real extent of the injuries as far as i knew them you must go and see him to-morrow said my mother or to-day suggested rose there's plenty of time and you can have the pony as your horse is tired won't you gilbert as soon as you've had something to eat no no how can we tell that it isn't all a false report it's highly im oh i'm sure it isn't for the village is all alive about it and i saw two people that had seen others that had seen the man that found him that sounds far-fetched but it isn't so when you think of it well but lawrence is a good rider it is not likely he would fall from his horse at all 
and if he did it is highly improbable he would break his bones in that way it must be a gross exaggeration at least no but the horse kicked him or something what his quiet little pony how do you know it was that he seldom rides any other at any rate said my mother you will call to-morrow whether it be true or false exaggerated or otherwise we shall like to know how he is fergus may go why not you he has more time i am busy just now oh but gilbert how can you be so composed about it you won't mind business for an hour or two in a case of this sort when your friend is at the point of death he is not i tell you for anything you know he may be you can't tell till you have seen him at all events he must have met with some terrible accident and you ought to see him he'll take it very unkind if you don't confound it i can't he and i have not been on good terms of late oh my dear boy surely surely you are not so unforgiving as to carry your little differences to such a length as little differences indeed i muttered well but only remember the occasion think how well well don't bother me now i'll see about it i replied and my seeing about it was to send fergus next morning with my mother's compliments to make the requisite inquiries for of course my going was out of the question or sending a message either he brought back intelligence that the young squire was laid up with the complicated evils of a broken head and certain contusions occasioned by a fall of which he did not trouble himself to relate the particulars and the subsequent misconduct of his horse and a severe cold the consequence of lying on the wet ground in the rain but there were no broken bones and no immediate prospects of dissolution it was evident then that for mrs graham's sake it was not his intention to criminate me End of chapter fourteen recording by expatriate in bangor maine chapter fifteen of the tenant of wildfell hall by anne bronte this librivox recording is in the public domain recording by expatriate in bangor maine chapter fifteen that day was rainy like its predecessor but towards evening it began to clear up a little and the next morning was fair and promising i was out on the hill with the reapers a light wind swept over the corn and all nature laughed in the sunshine the lark was rejoicing among the silvery floating clouds the late rain had so sweetly freshened and cleared the air and washed the sky and left such glittering gems on branch and blade that not even the farmers could have the heart to blame it but no ray of sunshine could reach my heart no breeze could freshen it nothing could fill the void my faith and hope and joy in helen graham had left or drive away the keen regrets and bitter dregs of lingering love that still oppressed it while i stood with folded arms abstractedly gazing on the undulating swell of the corn not yet disturbed by the reapers something gently pulled my skirts and a small voice no longer welcome to my ears aroused me with the startling words mr markham mamma wants you wants me arthur yes why do you look so queer said he half laughing half frightened at the unexpected aspect of my face and suddenly turning towards him and why have you kept so long away come won't you come i'm busy just now i replied scarce knowing what to answer he looked up in childish bewilderment 
but before i could speak again the lady herself was at my side gilbert i must speak with you said she in a tone of suppressed vehemence i looked at her pale cheek and glittering eye but answered nothing only for a moment pleaded she just step aside into this other field she glanced at the reapers some of whom were directing looks of impertinent curiosity towards her i won't keep you a minute i accompanied her through the gap arthur darling run and gather those bluebells said she pointing to some that were gleaming at some distance under the hedge along which we walked the child hesitated as if unwilling to quit my side go love repeated she more urgently and in a tone which though not unkind demanded prompt obedience and obtained it well mrs graham said i calmly and coldly for though i saw she was miserable and pitied her i felt glad to have it in my power to torment her she fixed her eyes upon me with a look that pierced me to the heart and yet it made me smile i don't ask the reason of this change gilbert said she with bitter calmness i know it too well but though i could see myself suspected and condemned by every one else and bear it with calmness i cannot endure it from you why did you not come to hear my explanation on the day i appointed to give it because i happened in the interim to learn all you would have told me and a trifle more i imagine impossible for i would have told you all cried she passionately but i won't now for i see you are not worthy of it and her pale lips quivered with agitation why not may i ask she repelled my mocking smile with a glance of scornful indignation because you never understood me or you would not soon have listened to my traducers my confidence would be misplaced in you you are not the man i thought you go i won't care what you think of me she turned away and i went for i thought that would torment her as much as anything and i believe i was right for looking back a minute after i saw her turn half round as if hoping or expecting to find me still beside her and then she stood still and cast one look behind it was a look less expressive of anger than of bitter anguish and despair but i immediately assumed an aspect of indifference and affected to be gazing carelessly round me and i suppose she went on for after lingering a while to see if she would come back or call i ventured one more glance and saw her a good way off moving rapidly up the field with little arthur running by her side and apparently talking as he went but she kept her face averted from him as if to hide some uncontrollable emotion and i returned to my business but i soon began to regret my precipitancy in leaving her so soon it was evident that she loved me probably she was tired of mr lawrence and wished to exchange him for me and if i had loved and reverenced her less to begin with the preference might have gratified and amused me but now the contrast between her outward seeming and her inward mind as i supposed between my former and my present opinion of her was so harrowing so distressing to my feelings that it swallowed up every lighter consideration but still i was curious to know what sort of an explanation she would have given me or would give now if i pressed her for it how much she would confess and how she would endeavour to excuse herself i longed to know what to despise and what to admire in her how much to pity and how much to hate and what was more i would know i would see her once more and fairly satisfy myself in what light to regard her before we parted 
lost to me she was for ever of course but still i could not bear to think that we had parted for the last time with so much unkindness and misery on both sides that last look of hers had sunk into my heart i could not forget it but what a fool i was had she not deceived me injured me blighted my happiness for life well i'll see her however was my concluding resolve but not to-day to-day and to-night she may think upon her sins and be as miserable as she will to-morrow i will see her once again and know something more about her the interview may be serviceable to her or it may not at any rate it will give a breath of excitement to the life she is doomed to stagnation and may calm with certainty some agitating thoughts i did go on the morrow but not till towards evening after the business of the day was concluded that is between six and seven and the westering sun was gleaming redly on the old hall and flaming in the latticed windows as i reached it imparting to the place a cheerfulness not its own i need not dilate upon the feelings with which i approached the shrine of my former divinity that spot teeming with a thousand delightful recollections and glorious dreams all darkened now by one disastrous truth rachel admitted me into the parlour and went to call her mistress for she was not there but there was her desk left open on the little round table beside the high-backed chair with a book laid upon it her limited but choice collection of books was almost as familiar to me as my own but this volume i had not seen before i took it up it was sir humphrey davery's last days of a philosopher and on the first leaf was written frederick lawrence i closed the book but kept it in my hand and stood facing the door with my back to the fireplace calmly waiting her arrival for i did not doubt she would come and soon i heard her step in the hall my heart was beginning to throb but i checked it with an internal rebuke and maintained my composure outwardly at least she entered calm pale collected to what am i indebted for this favour mr markham said she with such severe but quiet dignity as almost disconcerted me but i answered with a smile and impudently enough well i am come to hear your explanation i told you i would not give it said she i said you were unworthy of my confidence oh very well replied i moving to the door stay a moment said she this is the last time i shall see you don't go just yet i remained awaiting her further commands tell me resumed she on what grounds you believe these things against me who told you and what did they say i paused a moment she met my eye as unflinchingly as if her bosom had been steeled with conscious innocence she was resolved to know the worst and determined to dare it too i can crush that bold spirit thought i but while i secretly exulted in my power i felt disposed to dally with my victim like a cat showing her the book that i still held in my hand and pointing to the name on the fly-leaf but fixing my eye upon her face i asked do you know that gentleman of course i do replied she and a sudden flush suffused her features whether of shame or anger i could not tell it rather resembled the latter what next sir how long is it since you saw him who gave you the right to catechise me on this or any other subject oh no one it's quite at your option whether to answer or not and now let me ask have you heard what has lately befallen this friend of yours because if you have not 
i will not be insulted mr markham cried she almost infuriated at my manner so you had better leave the house at once if you came only for that i did not come to insult you i came to hear your explanation and i tell you i won't give it retorted she pacing the room in a state of strong excitement with her hands clasped tightly together breathing short and flashing fires of indignation from her eyes i will not condescend to explain myself to one that can make a jest of such horrible suspicions and be so easily led to entertain them i do not make a jest of them mrs graham returned i dropping at once my tone of taunting sarcasm i heartily wish i could find them a jesting matter and as to being easily led to suspect god only knows what a blind incredulous fool i have hitherto been perseveringly shutting my eyes and stopping my ears against everything that threatened to shake my confidence in you till proof itself confounded my infatuation what proof sir well i'll tell you you remember that evening when i was here last i do even then you dropped some hints that might have opened the eyes of a wiser man but they had no such effect upon me i went on trusting and believing hoping against hope and adoring where i could not comprehend it so happened however that after i left you i turned back drawn by pure depth of sympathy and ardour of affection not daring to intrude my presence openly upon you but unable to resist the temptation of catching one glimpse through the window just to see how you were for i had left you apparently in great affliction and i partly blamed my own want of forbearance and discretion as the cause of it if i did wrong love alone was my incentive and the punishment was severe enough for it was just as i had reached that tree that you came out into the garden with your friend not choosing to show myself under the circumstances i stood still in the shadow till you had both passed by and how much of our conversation did you hear i heard quite enough helen and it was well for me that i did hear it for nothing less could have cured my infatuation i always said and thought that i would never believe a word against you unless i heard it from your own lips all the hints and affirmations of others i treated as malignant baseless slanders your own self-accusations i believed to be overstrained and all that seemed unaccountable in your position i trusted that you could account for if you chose mrs graham had discontinued her walk she leant against one end of the chimney-piece opposite that near which i was standing with her chin resting on her closed hand her eyes no longer burning with anger but gleaming with restless excitement sometimes glancing at me while i spoke then coursing the opposite wall or fixed upon the carpet you should have come to see me after all said she and heard what i had to say in my own justification it was ungenerous and wrong to withdraw yourself so secretly and suddenly immediately after such ardent protestations of attachment without ever assigning a reason for the change you should have told me all no matter how bitterly it would have been better than this silence to what end should i have done so you could not have enlightened me further on the subject which alone concerned me nor could you have made me discredit the evidence of my senses i desired our intimacy to be discontinued at once as you yourself had acknowledged would probably be the case if i knew all but i did not wish to upbraid you though as you also acknowledged you had deeply wronged me yes you have done me an injury you can never repair or any other either 
you have blighted the freshness and promise of youth and made my life a wilderness i might live a hundred years but i could never recover from the effects of this withering blow and never forget it hereafter you smile mrs graham said i suddenly stopping short checked in my passionate declamation by unutterable feelings to behold her actually smiling at the picture of the ruin she had wrought did i replied she looking seriously up i was not aware of it if i did it was not for pleasure at the thoughts of the harm i had done you heaven knows i have had torment enough at the bare possibility of that it was for joy to find that you had some depth of soul and feeling after all and to hope that i had not been utterly mistaken in your worth but smiles and tears are so alike with me they are neither of them confined to any particular feelings i often cry when i am happy and smile when i am sad she looked at me again and seemed to expect a reply but i continued silent would you be very glad resumed she to find that you were mistaken in your conclusions how can you ask it helen i don't say i can clear myself altogether said she speaking low and fast while her heart beat visibly and her bosom heaved with excitement but would you be glad to discover i was better than you think me anything that could in the least degree tend to restore my former opinion of you to excuse the regard i still feel for you and alleviate the pangs of unutterable regret that accompany it would be only too gladly too eagerly received her cheeks burned and her whole frame trembled now with excess of agitation she did not speak but flew to her desk and snatching thence what seemed a thick album or manuscript volume hastily tore away a few leaves from the end and thrust the rest into my hand saying you needn't read it all but take it home with you and hurried from the room but when i had left the house and was proceeding down the walk she opened the window and called me back it was only to say bring it back when you have read it and don't breathe a word of what it tells you to any living being i trust to your honour before i could answer she had closed the casement and turned away i saw her cast herself back in the old oak chair and cover her face with her hands her feelings had been wrought to a pitch that rendered it necessary to seek relief in tears panting with eagerness and struggling to suppress my hopes i hurried home and rushed upstairs to my room having first provided myself with a candle though it was scarcely twilight yet then shut and bolted the door determined to tolerate no interruption and sitting down before the table opened out my prize and delivered myself up to its perusal first hastily turning over the leaves and snatching a sentence here and there and then setting myself steadily to read it through i have it now before me and though you could not of course peruse it with half the interest that i did i know you would not be satisfied with an abbreviation of its contents and you shall have the whole save perhaps a few passages here and there of merely temporal interest to the writer or such as would serve to encumber the story rather than elucidate it it begins somewhat abruptly thus but we will reserve its commencement for another chapter and call it chapter sixteen end of chapter fifteen recording by expatriate in bangor maine
chapter sixteen of the tenant of wildfell hall by anne bronte this librivox recording is in the public domain recording by expatriate in bangor maine chapter sixteen june first eighteen twenty one we have just returned to staningley that is we returned some days ago and i am not yet settled and feel as if i never should be we left town sooner than was intended in consequence of my uncle's indisposition i wonder what would have been the result if we had stayed the full time i am quite ashamed of my new-sprung distaste for country life all my former occupations seem so tedious and dull my former amusements so insipid and unprofitable i cannot enjoy my music because there is no one to hear it i cannot enjoy my walks because there is no one to meet i cannot enjoy my books because they have not power to arrest my attention my head is so haunted with the recollections of the last few weeks that i cannot attend to them my drawing suits me best for i can draw and think at the same time and if my productions cannot now be seen by any one but myself and those who do not care about them they possibly may be hereafter but then there is one face i am always trying to paint or to sketch and always without success and that vexes me as for the owner of that face i cannot get him out of my mind and indeed i never try i wonder whether he ever thinks of me and i wonder whether i shall ever see him again and then might follow a train of other wonderments questions for time and fate to answer concluding with supposing all the rest be answered in the affirmative i wonder whether i shall ever repent it as my aunt would tell me i should if she knew what i was thinking about how distinctly i remember our conversation that evening before our departure for town when we were sitting together over the fire my uncle having gone to bed with a slight attack of the gout helen said she after a thoughtful silence do you ever think about marriage yes aunt often and you ever contemplate the possibility of being married yourself or engaged before the season is over sometimes but i don't think it at all likely that i ever shall why so because i imagine there must be only a very very few men in the world that i should like to marry and of those few it is ten to one i may never be acquainted with one or if i should it is twenty to one he may not happen to be single or to take a fancy to me well that is no argument at all it may be very true and i hope is true that there are very few men whom you would choose to marry of yourself it is not indeed to be supposed that you would wish to marry any one till you were asked a girl's affection should never be won unsought but when they are sought when the citadel of the heart is fairly besieged it is apt to surrender sooner than the owner is aware of and often against her better judgment and in opposition to all her preconceived ideas of what she could have loved unless she be extremely careful and discreet now i want to warn you helen of these things and to exhort you to be watchful and circumspect from the very commencement of your career and not to suffer your heart to be stolen from you by the first foolish or unprincipled person that covets the possession of it you know my dear you are only just eighteen there is plenty of time before you and neither your uncle nor i are in any hurry to get you off our hands and i may venture to say there will be no lack of suitors for you can boast a good family a pretty considerable fortune and expectations and i may as well tell you likewise for if i don't others will that you have a fair share of beauty besides and i hope you may never have cause to regret it 
i hope not aunt but why should you fear it because my dear beauty is that quality which next to money is generally the most attractive to the worst kinds of men and therefore it is likely to entail a great deal of trouble on the possessor have you been troubled in that way aunt no helen said she with reproachful gravity but i know many that have and some through carelessness have been the wretched victims of deceit and some through weakness have fallen into snares and temptations terrible to relate well i shall be neither careless nor weak remember peter helen don't boast but watch keep a guard over your eyes and ears as the inlets of your heart and over your lips as the outlet lest they betray you in a moment of unwariness receive coldly and dispassionately every attention till you have ascertained and duly considered the worth of the aspirant and let your affections be consequent upon approbation alone first study then approve then love let your eyes be blind to all external attractions your ears deaf to all the fascinations of flattery and light discourse these are nothing and worse than nothing snares and wiles of the tempter to lure the thoughtless to their own destruction principle is the first thing after all and next to that good sense respectability and moderate wealth if you should marry the handsomest and most accomplished and superficially agreeable man in the world you little know the misery that would overwhelm you if after all you should find him to be a worthless reprobate or even an impracticable fool but what are all the poor fools and reprobates to do aunt if everybody followed your advice the world would soon come to an end never fear my dear the male fools and reprobates will never want for partners while there are so many of the other sex to match them but do you follow my advice and this is no subject for jesting helen i am sorry to see you treat the matter in that light way believe me matrimony is a serious thing and she spoke it so seriously that one might have fancied she had known it to her cost but i asked no more impertinent questions and merely answered i know it is and i know there is truth and sense in what you say but you need not fear me for i not only should think it wrong to marry a man that was deficient in sense or in principle but i should never be tempted to do it for i could not like him if he were ever so handsome and ever so charming in other respects i should hate him despise him pity him anything but love him my affections not only ought to be founded on approbation but they will and must be so for without approving i cannot love it is needless to say i ought to be able to respect and honour the man i marry as well as love him for i cannot love him without so set your mind at rest i hope it may be so answered she i know it is so persisted i you have not been tried yet helen we can but hope said she in her cold cautious way i was vexed at her incredulity but i am not sure her doubts were entirely without sagacity i fear i have found it much easier to remember her advice than to profit by it indeed i have sometimes been led to question the soundness of her doctrines on those subjects her counsels may be good as far as they go in the main points at least but there are some things she has overlooked in her calculations i wonder if she was ever in love i commenced my career or my first campaign as my uncle calls it kindling with bright hopes and fancies chiefly raised by this conversation and full of confidence in my own discretion at first i was delighted with the novelty and excitement of our london life 
but soon i began to weary of its mingled turbulence and constraint and sigh for the freshness and freedom of home my new acquaintances both male and female disappointed my expectations and vexed and depressed me by turns for i soon grew tired of studying their peculiarities and laughing at their foibles particularly as i was obliged to keep my criticisms to myself for my aunt would not hear them and they the ladies especially appeared so provokingly mindless and heartless and artificial the gentlemen seemed better but perhaps it was because i knew them less perhaps because they flattered me but i did not fall in love with any of them and if their attentions pleased me one moment they provoked me the next because they put me out of humour with myself by revealing my vanity and making me fear i was becoming like some of the ladies i so heartily despised there was one elderly gentleman that annoyed me very much a rich old friend of my uncle's who i believe thought i could not do better than marry him but besides being old he was ugly and disagreeable and wicked i am sure though my aunt scolded me for saying so but she allowed he was no saint and there was another less hateful but still more tiresome because she favoured him and was always thrusting him upon me and sounding his praises in my ears mr borum by name borum as i prefer spelling it for a terrible bore he was i shudder still at the remembrance of his voice drone 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 in my ear while he sat beside me prosing away by the half-hour together and beguiling himself with the notion that he was improving my mind by useful information or impressing his dogmas upon me and reforming my errors of judgment or perhaps that he was talking down to my level and amusing me with entertaining discourse yet he was a decent man enough in the main i dare say and if he had kept his distance i never would have hated him as it was it was almost impossible to help it for he not only bothered me with the infliction of his own presence but he kept me from the enjoyment of more agreeable society one night however at a ball he had been more than usually tormenting and my patience was quite exhausted it appeared as if the whole evening was fated to be insupportable i had just had one dance with an empty-headed coxcomb and then mr borum had come upon me and seemed determined to cling to me for the rest of the night he never danced himself and there he sat poking his head in my face and impressing all beholders with the idea that he was a confirmed acknowledged lover my aunt looking complacently on all the time and wishing him godspeed in vain i attempted to drive him away by giving a loose to my exasperated feelings even to positive rudeness nothing could convince him that his presence was disagreeable sullen silence was taken for rapt attention and gave him greater room to talk sharp answers were received as smart sallies of girlish vivacity that only required an indulgent rebuke and flat contradictions were but as oil to the flames calling forth new strains of argument to support his dogmas and bringing down upon me endless floods of reasoning to overwhelm me with conviction but there was one present who seemed to have a better appreciation of my frame of mind a gentleman stood by who had been watching our conference for some time evidently much amused at my companion's remorseless pertinacity and my manifest annoyance and laughing to himself at the asperity and uncompromising spirit of my replies at length however he withdrew 
and went to the lady of the house apparently for the purpose of asking an introduction to me for shortly after they both came up and she introduced him as mr huntingdon the son of a late friend of my uncle's he asked me to dance i gladly consented of course and he was my companion during the remainder of my stay which was not long for my aunt as usual insisted upon an early departure i was sorry to go for i had found my new acquaintance a very lively and entertaining companion there was a certain graceful ease and freedom about all he said and did that gave a sense of repose and expansion to the mind after so much constraint and formality as i had been doomed to suffer there might be it is true a little too much careless boldness in his manner and address but i was in so good a humour and so grateful for my late deliverance from mr boreham that it did not anger me well helen how do you like mr boreham now said my aunt as we took our seats in the carriage and drove away worse than ever i replied she looked displeased but said no more on that subject who was the gentleman you danced with last resumed she after a pause that was so officious in helping you on with your shawl he was not officious at all aunt he never attempted to help me till he saw mr boreham coming to do so and then he stepped laughingly forward and said come i'll preserve you from that infliction who was it i asked said she with frigid gravity it was mr huntingdon the son of uncle's old friend i have heard your uncle speak of young mr huntingdon i've heard him say he's a fine lad that young huntingdon but a bit wildish i fancy so i'd have you beware what does a bit wildish mean i inquired it means destitute of principle and prone to every vice that is common to youth but i've heard uncle say he was a sad wild fellow himself when he was young she sternly shook her head he was jesting then i suppose said i and here he was speaking at random at least i cannot believe there is any harm in those laughing blue eyes false reasoning helen said she with a sigh well we ought to be charitable you know aunt besides i don't think it is false i am an excellent physiognomist and i always judge of people's characters by their looks not by whether they are handsome or ugly but by the general cast of the countenance for instance i should know by your countenance that you were not of a cheerful sanguine disposition and i should know by mr wilmot's that he was a worthless old reprobate and by mr boreham's that he was not an agreeable companion and by mr huntingdon's that he was neither a fool nor a knave though possibly neither a sage nor a saint but that is no matter to me as i am not likely to meet him again unless as an occasional partner in the ballroom it was not so however for i met him again next morning he came to call upon my uncle apologizing for not having done so before by saying he was only lately returned from the continent and had not heard till the previous night of my uncle's arrival in town and after that i often met him sometimes in public sometimes at home for he was very assiduous in paying his respects to his old friend who did not however consider himself greatly obliged by the attention i wonder what the deuce the lad means by coming so often he would say can you tell helen hey he wants none of my company nor i his that's certain i wish you'd tell him so then said my aunt why what for if i don't want him somebody else does mayhap winking at me besides he's a pretty tidy fortune peggy you know not such a catch as wilmot but then helen won't hear of that match for somehow these old chaps don't go down with the girls 
with all their money and their experience to boot i'll bet anything she'd rather have this young fellow without a penny than wilmot with his house full of gold wouldn't you nell yes uncle but that's not saying much for mr huntingdon for i'd rather be an old maid and a pauper than mrs wilmot and mrs huntingdon what would you rather be than mrs huntingdon eh i'll tell you when i've considered the matter ah it needs consideration then but come now would you rather be an old maid let alone the pauper i can't tell till i'm asked and i left the room immediately to escape further examination but five minutes after and looking from my window i beheld mr borham coming up to the door i waited nearly half an hour in uncomfortable suspense expecting every minute to be called and vainly longing to hear him go then footsteps were heard on the stairs and my aunt entered the room with a solemn countenance and closed the door behind her here is mr borham helen said she he wishes to see you oh aunt can't you tell him i'm indisposed i'm sure i am to see him nonsense my dear this is no trifling matter he has come on a very important errand to ask your hand in marriage of your uncle and me i hope my uncle and you told him it was not in your power to give it what right had he to ask any one before me helen what did my uncle say he said he would not interfere in the matter if you like to accept mr borham's obliging offer you did he say obliging offer no he said if you like to take him you might and if not you might please yourself he said right and what did you say it is no matter what i said what will you say that is the question he is now waiting to ask you himself but consider well before you go and if you intend to refuse him give me your reasons i shall refuse him of course but you must tell me how for i want to be civil and yet decided and when i've got rid of him i'll give you my reasons afterwards but stay helen sit down a little and compose yourself mr borham is in no particular hurry for he has little doubt of your acceptance and i want to speak with you tell me my dear what are your objections to him do you deny that he is an upright honourable man no do you deny that he is a sensible sober respectable no he may be all this but but helen how many such men do you expect to meet with in the world upright honourable sensible sober respectable is this such an everyday character that you should reject the possessor of such noble qualities without a moment's hesitation yes noble i may call them for think of the full meaning of each and how many inestimable virtues they include and i might add many more to the list and consider that all this is laid at your feet it is in your power to secure this inestimable blessing for life a worthy and excellent husband who loves you tenderly but not too fondly so as to blind him to your faults and will be your guide throughout life's pilgrimage and your partner in eternal bliss think how but i hate him aunt said i interrupting this unusual flow of eloquence hate him helen is this a christian spirit you hate him and he so good a man i don't hate him as a man but as a husband as a man i love him so much that i wish him a better wife than i one as good as himself or better if you think that possible provided she could like him but i never could and therefore but why not what objection do you find 
firstly he is at least forty years old considerably more i should think and i am but eighteen secondly he is narrow-minded and bigoted in the extreme thirdly his tastes and feelings are wholly dissimilar to mine fourthly his looks voice and manner are particularly displeasing to me and finally i have an aversion to his whole person that i never can surmount then you ought to surmount it and please to compare him for a moment with mr huntingdon and good looks apart which contribute nothing to the merit of the man or to the happiness of married life and which you have so often professed to hold in light esteem tell me which is the better man i have no doubt mr huntingdon is a much better man than you think him but we are not talking about him now but about mr borham and as i would rather grow live and die in single blessedness than be his wife it is but right that i should tell him so at once and put him out of suspense so let me go but don't give him a flat denial he has no idea of such a thing and it would offend him greatly say you have no thoughts of matrimony at present but i have thoughts of it or that you desire a further acquaintance but i don't desire a further acquaintance quite the contrary and without waiting for further admonitions i left the room and went to seek mr borham he was walking up and down the drawing-room humming snatches of tunes and nibbling the end of his cane my dear young lady said he bowing and smirking with great complacency i have your kind guardian's permission i know sir said i wishing to shorten the scene as much as possible and i am greatly obliged for your preference but must beg to decline the honour you wish to confer for i think we were not made for each other as you yourself would shortly discover if the experiment were tried my aunt was right it was quite evident he had had little doubt of my acceptance and no idea of a positive denial he was amazed astounded at such an answer but too incredulous to be much offended and after a little humming and hawing he returned to the attack i know my dear that there exists a considerable disparity between us in years in temperament and perhaps some other things but let me assure you i shall not be severe to mark the faults and foibles of a young and ardent nature such as yours and while i acknowledge them to myself and even rebuke them with all a father's care believe me no youthful lover could be more tenderly indulgent towards the object of his affections than i to you and on the other hand let me hope that my more experienced years and graver habits of reflection will be no disparagement in your eyes as i shall endeavour to make them all conducive to your happiness come now what do you say let us have no young lady's affectations and caprices but speak out at once i will but only to repeat what i said before that i am certain we were not made for each other you really think so i do but you don't know me you wish for a further acquaintance a longer time to no i don't i know you as well as i ever shall and better than you know me or you would never dream of uniting yourself to one so incongruous so utterly unsuitable to you in every way but my dear young lady i don't look for perfection i can excuse thank you mr borham but i won't trespass upon your goodness you may save your indulgence and consideration for some more worthy object that won't tax them so heavily but let me beg you to consult your aunt that excellent lady i am sure will i have consulted her and i know her wishes coincide with yours but in such important matters i take the liberty of judging for myself 
and no persuasion can alter my inclinations or induce me to believe that such a step would be conducive to my happiness or yours and i wonder that a man of your experience and discretion should think of choosing such a wife ah well said he i have sometimes wondered at that myself i have sometimes said to myself now borum what is this you're after take care man look before you leap this is a sweet bewitching creature but remember the brightest attractions to the lover too often prove the husband's greatest torments i assure you my choice has not been made without much reasoning and reflection the seeming imprudence of the match has cost me many an anxious thought by day and many a sleepless hour by night but at length i satisfied myself that it was not in very deed imprudent i saw my sweet girl was not without her faults but of these her youth i trusted was not one but rather an earnest of virtues yet unblown a strong ground of presumption that her little defects of temper and errors of judgment opinion or manner were not irremediable but might easily be removed or mitigated by the patient efforts of a watchful and judicious adviser and where i failed to enlighten and control i thought i might safely undertake to pardon for the sake of her many excellences therefore my dearest girl since i am satisfied why should you object on my account at least but to tell you the truth mr borum it is on my own account i principally object so let us drop the subject i would have said for it is worse than useless to pursue it any further but he pertinaciously interrupted me with but why so i would love you cherish you protect you etc etc i shall not trouble myself to put down all that passed between us suffice it to say that i found him very troublesome and very hard to convince that i really meant what i said and really was so obstinate and blind to my own interests that there was no shadow of a chance that either he or my aunt would ever be able to overcome my objections indeed i am not sure that i succeeded after all though wearied with his so pertinaciously returning to the same point and repeating the same arguments over and over again forcing me to reiterate the same replies i at length turned short and sharp upon him and my last words were i tell you plainly that it cannot be no consideration can induce me to marry against my inclinations i respect you at least i would respect you if you would behave like a sensible man but i cannot love you and never could and the more you talk the further you repel me so pray don't say any more about it whereupon he wished me a good morning and withdrew disconcerted and offended no doubt but surely it was not my fault end of chapter sixteen recording by expatriate in bangor maine say goodbye to your credit card rewards greedy corporate mega stores led by walmart and target are pushing for a law in congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets the durbin marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it if you love your credit card rewards tell your lawmakers hands off my rewards tell them to oppose the durbin marshall credit card bill Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. 
every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.